Wow. What an accomplishment. So many great graduates, and this is also one of my favorite Sundays. Uh, if you do not have an outline, feel free to raise your hand, and they will bring you an outline. Uh, I'll be preaching this morning a sermon titled, Two Egyptian Hebrews. The point of this message is, is how our preparations in our life make way for our identity and for the authority that God wants to have in our life. And as God was dealing with me specifically um, regarding the graduates, I, there are several points from, from last year that, that I wanted to carry over and bring on, and I, almost like God wouldn't let me get going with that. So kind of what happened was the last point of the 10 from last year was identity, and that's where we're at. So uh, if you would um, prepare your hearts for us looking into what God's Word has to say um, to us this morning. Uh, we're going to be looking at two specific people in the scripture, specifically Joshua and Moses, and how these Egyptian Hebrews, if you will, uh, can serve as an explanation, kind of a, a cautionary type tale of how things may not go like we always want them to go. Things may have twists and turns that we're not expecting, and yet God can use anything and everything to his glory. Amen. Would you pray with me this morning? Thank you, Lord God, for all that you have done this morning so far, Lord. Thank you that you are good, God, that you are holy, God, that you are sovereign. God, and we thank you, Lord, for the sacrifice of your son, Jesus Christ, the opportunity to come and to fellowship as believers, to celebrate one another's accomplishments. God, to put everything before you, God, in unity and love. And thank you, Lord, for what you want to do and advance in our lives for your glory. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. So, first of all, let's look at Genesis chapter 41, verse 45. Would you read with me? Then Pharaoh gave Joseph an Egyptian name, Zaphonath paneah and arranged for him to marry an Egyptian woman, Asenath, daughter of Potiphar, priest of On. So this was how Joseph gained authority over all the land of Egypt. And I'm kind of just using this as a little bit of a segue. We'll come back to Joseph in a little while. Um, and as Miss Tammy prepares a quick video that I wanted to show to kind of illustrate some of this, I have a story to tell you. It deals with preparing for your identity. Have you, anyone here flown on a plane before? Anyone ever heard of TSA? It's a thing. It's the process by which they can secure airplanes to make sure all the travelers on board have appropriate identity and are safe. So as you're going up for this, you have all these different procedures to go through. And I took a trip last December where I forgot to take my wallet out of my pocket. And as I was about to go through the machine, I thought, hmm, my wallet's in my pocket. This is probably not the best. But anyway, so be it. Went through, had to go through a very uncomfortable frisk situation that I said, well, we're not going to do this next time. Next time, just a few recent, recent uh, trip that we took, I walked through, did not have my wallet in my pocket. Everything was good. Somehow still got frisked. Said, okay, whatever. On the way back, that exact same trip, as we're walking up trying to decide do we have time to eat, TSA, whatever, the exact same trip, mind you, it hit me. Not only do I not have my wallet, but it's not in my bag. I'm pretty sure it's still at the hotel. That's a problem. <laughs> 
Thank God, A, that uh, Chrissy, uh, mother and father who's here with us today, uh, was still at the hotel and it worked out. And I will say TSA has other checks and procedures that they can do to work you through that. And thankfully, Chrissy had three forms of identification in her purse for me, bank statements and insurance and credit card and naturally credit card. But anyway, it worked out. But the point being, sometimes our preparations and our identity can get in the way, but it's all for a good cause. So if you would watch this, this is a clip, brief clip, of Joseph being given authority over all the land of Egypt. It's from a movie I haven't personally seen, uh, Joseph, King of Dreams. It's the sequel to the Prince of Egypt movie that came out about 20 years ago. Uh, so just watch this brief clip. Through this man, I have seen the future of Egypt. And through his deeds, we shall prosper. I am giving him power over all Egypt. Only Pharaoh will be greater. You shall call him Zafnat Panea. The God speaks and he lives. So a brief clip, a brief scripture, but the point is it illustrates a point. And we, a lot of times we skip over some of this aspect of the story. We, if you, many of you have heard of the story of Joseph, there's a lot that happens, and there's a lot of scripture that covers the story of Joseph. But the point being, there was an Egyptian identity that was placed upon him. Okay? Now we'll come back to that a little later. If you would look with me at Exodus chapter 2, and the interesting thing about these two individuals is that Joseph and Moses come right back to back in the scripture. So, Tammy, if you'd put up uh, the next one, would you read with me this morning? And we're mainly focusing on Exodus chapter 2 for the day. God has done what he promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's made Israel's children fertile, productive, and strong. Over time, Jacob's 70 children have become a nation within a nation, and the Egyptians are taking notice. History teaches the pharaohs and the ruling classes to be wary of outsiders. So now that the Israelites are swarming all over the land like flies, and they are not fully assimilating into Egyptian life and culture, the pharaoh thinks they pose a clear and present danger. So the Egyptian king decides that strong measures are necessary. The welcome that Joseph and his family once enjoyed turns into outright hostility. So if you're familiar with the scripture, Genesis ties off the ending of this story about Joseph. And the next book, boom, Exodus, you're right into all of what happens with Moses now. And time shifts drastically. Most people believe this was probably about 100 years or so time that things shifted. Who you know and, and, and those in your corner and all those things have a very important play into how your life goes and those kind of things. And a simple change as even like a pharaoh changing and one person knowing the backstory and the other person not necessarily caring can drastically change the course of life and also if you're familiar with the beginning of exodus 1 which we're not going to get into much today but this change was swift and it was so strong that not only did they not trust people but they were killing the baby boys of the hebrew israelites and they said okay we have to do something, and this was their drastic way of approaching this. One thing that was interesting as I, as I looked in this, and, and you'll see different things, and we've talked a few weeks in the college class about 
different kind of nuances in Scripture. If you do study the historicity of some of these passages, the skeptics and the scholars will say they don't necessarily know they can't find Moses in the other secular historical references. But one thing I ran across, the very early uh, stances that you can find in history for abortions and techniques and all that came from an Egyptian kind of medical journal on, on an old-style papyrus-type journal in hieroglyphics from about, even by conservative dates, 1500 BC, which would have been within 20 years or so of when Moses was born. So we're talking about the exact same time period. So the horrific things that were happening are culturally backed up, okay? Not specifically with the Israelites. The way I look at it is, if you're going to write your own history, this is not a very glamorous story when it comes to the Egyptians, because we know how it ends. Any of y'all seen the Charleston Heston movie? Ten Commandments, right? I mean, I, I could have shown that one. A lot of us have seen that. But, you know, widespread fame. And even as the Israelites would travel throughout the world, what has God done? You know, like, like the powerful moves and the plagues and all the different works and mighty wonders that he did were evident. Okay, so again, not very glamorous for the Egyptians. In my opinion, that's why you can't see this in the historical records outside of what we know as Scripture. Okay, but this is happening. It's, it's backed up scripturally. If we'll go on, Pharaoh wants the boys dead because he knows they may grow up to fight against him, but he wants the girls to live. He's sure he can find a use for them. So as we go forward in chapter 2, you see the parents of Moses. Okay, now Moses had siblings, Miriam, Aaron, and Moses, and this is the beginning of his story. Now, how many of you know what happened the fact that we're even talking about babies and, and all this. And by the way, um, young people, if you do not feel strongly about what's happening in climate and all the things that are going on right now with the tension regarding the abortion issue, be in our situation if you're fortunate enough to be an expecting parent and you will feel strongly on the matter. And I will leave that, leave that alone. But the fact that we're even here talking about all this is because Moses was born in very unique circumstances. At the age of three months, he was placed into a basket. If you would put up 12, he was placed into a basket. The Hebrew word there is actually ark. There was a process of salvation that was being executed through Moses, that as he was placed into this basket, this ark, if you will, God was saving his people. He was saving his people from what had become a very difficult situation. Now, the interesting thing is a few hundred years, or, or specifically a hundred years prior to that, give or take, depending on what part of the story you're looking at, Joseph was a means of salvation to his people. They go into Egypt as an act of salvation. They come out of Egypt as an, as an act of salvation. And so you see this as the beginning of Moses' story. You see him placed... In the natural eyes, we would say he was abandoned, right? A baby placed in a basket mother giving him up, that to us is very grim. The Egyptian daughter of Pharaoh would find Moses, would find him and be peaked with curiosity. The scripture says the baby cried and her heart was moved. She was concerned for the boy. She took him in, and the interesting thing about the story is that Moses was actually raised and nursed by his mother. Okay? So he had the family close by, but yet he would go live in the palace as soon as he was able to do that. And we know from Stephen's address way on in Acts that he would actually remain in that setting until the age of 40. Can you imagine? Can you imagine 
living in a society where you are set apart and yet you know your people are in extreme bondage and it's your quote-unquote family that's responsible for that. That's the situation that Moses found himself in. That was his identity. In fact, Moses was the name that his Egyptian mother gave him. The scripture tells us it was because she drew him out of the water. The interesting thing about that is Moses would be used by God to draw the children of Israel out of Egypt. There's so many different things that you can see from the different things going on, but the identity placed upon him would not be something that we would consider a pleasant identity. He was given the status and the authority and all these things that came with being the Egyptian at that time, but yet something in him would not let him settle there. We know the way that God actually got a hold of him was at some point he had to flee. If you know the story, you know that in a bout of passion, he actually murdered an Egyptian man who was beating a Hebrew. And in that moment, something had to be done. Pharaoh would not tolerate that type of thing, and he took off. He had to go. Now, the interesting thing about the story is, my assumption is, if he had murdered a Hebrew, probably no one, it wouldn't have made the news, right? It, it wouldn't have been something that was reported. But because he killed one of his own people, it was a problem. Now, did God cause him to do that? No, I do not believe so. But God used that redeemed him, obviously in the end, but yet he used that to get his attention. He would go away. He would have this new life, this kind of separation from this identity. And in Midian, who would he meet? The burning bush. He actually, in my opinion, met Jesus Christ, the pre-incarnate Jesus. Anytime you see the angel of the Lord, that's Jesus. The angel of the Lord, Jesus. It's kind of this human figure in the Old Testament of what we know to be the human person of the Godhead, Jesus Christ. And so he meets this encounter, and God uses him, not at his own might, right? He said, Lord, I stutter. I can't, I can't be used by you. And yet God used him going forward. Now, flashback forward to Joseph. What's Joseph's story? Joseph was brought into Egypt. He was given this name. He was given authority. Specifically, he was told that no one in the land of Egypt could do anything without Pharaoh's approval. So, de facto, he was Pharaoh. Pharaoh sat on the throne, and Joseph worked and had the authority over all of Egypt. And not only that, God used him as a unifying force for Egypt, for all the known worlds that experienced famine at that time, and for Joseph's own family. You heard in that clip earlier, Zaphnath Panea said that God sees and God lives. I've also read that the name itself could mean the savior of the world. The name itself could mean the revealer of secrets. He displayed that God's hand was on his life because of what? Dream interpretation. So he revealed the secrets that were in Pharaoh's mind and in the depths of what God was wanting to reveal to people. So these names are important. It's a lot of times it's something we can just skip over, but there's a lot of meaning, there's a lot of weight there. Because of this, we can see even furthermore that he is an example of Christ. He is a type of Christ. I won't get into the outline. That's kind of more of a bird's eye overview, and you can look at it later. But there's another type of Christ referenced in Isaiah there. 
Eliakim and compared to uh, the Isaiah passage with Revelation 3.7. I challenge you to go home and look at that at some point this week. It's encouraging to see how all throughout Scripture, Jesus Christ is exalted. He's exalted. But the challenging thing is young people, and even not just necessarily young versus old or any of these different kind of things, we can feel like our life doesn't have meaning. And not so much that we're separated from Christ, but that you get caught up in the day-to-day. You get caught up in, does this really matter? God uses, just as God did not call Moses to kill the Egyptian, God uses even the mundane things to shape us. Part of my own testimony is that as, as a child, my, my dad was a full-time evangelist, and so we were in a lot of different churches. We were in a lot of different places, different types of churches, and I saw a lot of things. And I was always passionate about the church being the church. And it's so encouraging the past week. I don't know how many of you were able to be at the Christian Music Festival, but we had several churches come together in Durham. And not, none of them promoting their own church, but for the cause of Christ alone. And we know on the back end of that, the fruit, five people accepted Christ that day. Amen? And that's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. Beyond that, DMIP, which some of you may know about, 20 years now has been happening on Tuesdays where ministers of all different types of denominations are meeting and we had one of the best lunches and prayers this past week, celebrating 20 years. And so there was such a sense of unity there. And that's what I want to challenge you with this morning. For a while, I kind of struggled with, with what that meant. Like, okay, God, you want me to write a book on, 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 on what, your, what the theology looks like and all those things? And it hit me in the spirit. All that does is just cause more separation. It, it gives another idea of this is what... You know, this is, this is something else to say you're a part of. God's already done that in his word. He's done that in his word already. But we're to live, we're to call, live out God's calling, not necessarily in the flashy way, but in the way that God has worked in our lives, the people that he's placed in your life, the, the things that you've picked up along the way that you'll use for his glory. And that's what it's about. That's what it's about. So as you look at this outline today, I want to challenge you in a few different things. If you would put up the passage, Tammy, in Mark, that is 48th. And I'm, I'm not going to preach very long today because I know we have a lot going on and I want to make sure we have leave time, ample time for prayer and other prayer needs that you might have. But when it comes to unity, I, I don't want I, I to be unbalanced in this. One of the points from last year was balance, and even though we're not preaching on it, I still am a big believer in it. Mark 13, 22 through 23 says, False liberators and prophets will pop up like weeds, and they will work signs and perform miracles that would entice even God's chosen people if that were possible. So be alert and remember how I have warned you. You can see in the point under that in the outline is that is it even possible to be kingdom minded, to strive for this unity of the church when we know? God's word tells us that not everyone's going to follow. People will proclaim false Christs and all these different things. How can we hope to proclaim this unity when things can seem so murky? 
The interesting thing about Joseph, Pharaoh acknowledges many things, and you can read the text in, in chapter 41. We pulled the final verse there, but what he acknowledges is unique about Joseph is that the Spirit of God is in him. And this is an Egyptian pharaoh. This is someone that doesn't have the worldview that we have, but yet he looks at his advisors, all the ones that could not interpret the dream, and says, do you know anyone that has the Spirit of God in them like this man Joseph? And you see the evidence. You see the fruit because of the dream, but that's how we are. That's the answer to this problem, per se. Where do we go forward in our calling? How do we strive for unity amongst all the turmoil? Because look, y'all, there, there are problems. We all know that there are issues in the world. And if you watch any TV at all, you're probably stirred up about certain things. But that's how it's always been. And, and unfortunately, we know things will wax worse and worse in these ways. But how do we as a church live set apart by the Spirit of God? Draw close to Him. Be in the Word. Be in the Scripture. I challenge you this morning that if there's anything you need, if you're feeling dry, if you've never received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, if there are things that you're lacking, that you would begin to seek those things, that you would find a brother or sister in the Lord and pray with you. Come to the altar. Confess the need. That's what we're to do as brothers and sisters in Christ, to confess whatever it is and to seek for that restoration to be seen in our lives. We can get caught up in so much stuff, and I'm not preaching the, the full, you can probably tell I'm not preaching the full extent of the sermon I had prepared because the details are not always as important in the moment. God works those things for his will and his glory down the line. But we don't see it in the moment so often. We do not see the things day to day, how they're stewarding to God's hand in our lives. We just get caught up in, oh, this is very similar to what I did yesterday. Oh, the car needs gas again. You know, you know, all these things, we get caught up in, oh, there's a new ache. You know, these different things. And, and, and we don't step back and say, okay, God, you're working your plan for your glory. And so that's the interesting thing about these two Egyptian Hebrew men. There were very specific identity and status and power put on their life. But yet in Christ, we see something different. In Christ, we see an identity, a calling that doesn't waver. I don't know, Julian, if you were in youth when Chrissy talked about calling and assignment, but we were talking recently about so often we speak on calling and we say, well, I'm called to do this. I'm called to be a husband. I'm called to do, I'm called to cut the grass because it's high. You know, all these different things. I'm called to do certain things. But the real calling that we're called to is to be set apart, that you're called to Christ. You're called to be salt and light to this world. Amen? Now, we might be called into something and called out of something, or our assignment can change, and it's not important to get caught up on the semantics too much, but the point being, know that your calling does not change. I can't remember who said it, if it was last night or, or someone this morning, but this idea of, of God's will in so many things, I believe it was Brother Matt. When you're worshiping God and saying you are holy, you are in the will of God. When you are following Christ and putting him first, you are in the will of God. And let's not get caught up in all these, you know, aloof and, and, and mysterious things. Because that is not what God's called us to. 
If it's meant to be understood completely, God has made it plain in Scripture. Now, there's things you can get into in this way or that way, but his Scripture speaks for itself. The theology is simple in the ways that it needs to be simple, and that is Christ and Christ alone. And the way you can tell those that are within the faith is that they won't book you on that. If you ask someone that Jesus Christ is Lord, there should be no hesitation. And if there's a trying to explain it away, or if there's a try to, to provide, you know, the politically correct qualifiers on it, then something's amiss. We should not have to dance around that. Jesus Christ is Lord. And this morning, I'd like to ask the graduates if you would come back to the front. If you would line up across the front, we're going to ask the families if they would come along and stand behind. Miss Judy, if you would come to the piano. Let's pray for our graduates. After that, I'll turn the service back over to Pastor. Any other needs that you may have, I challenge you to, to not just let another Sunday go by where it's say, okay, well, there's a lot going on today. We'll save it for another Sunday. These are the things that are important. The chicken will wait. So if the four of you would stand and the families would come along behind. And then as the congregation, once the family gets, families get up here, the congregation would go ahead and as well stand behind. A lot of times we end the service around the altars. We're going to do that again here today. But we ask that you would go ahead now and do that as a show of support and that we as a congregation are with these candidates. The ones that are graduating, stepping out to this new adventure. The funny thing about this, we talk, we talk hard up in the details. So often we, we assume that the details assume some drastic change. And now for some that are going off to college, it might be a drastic change. But for some, it might be just a simple change in assignment. It might be a simple change in where our attention is placed. Brother Todd's already acknowledged that he's putting things on hold to pursue what needs to have attention. So as Miss Judy plays, would you, would you join in prayer? And let's bless these graduates. Lord, Father, God, we thank you, Lord, for this morning. We thank you for your hand, God, upon the life of Juliana, of Todd, of Andrew, of Emma. God, we thank you, Lord, for your divine will, Lord God. We thank you, Lord, that you know, God, the end from the beginning. God, you stand outside of time ourselves, and so often, God, we ourselves get caught up, Lord God, in the, in the mundane, Lordness of life, Lord, of the details, Lord God, but you, God, see it all. God, and I ask, Lord God, for a special anointing, God, uh, God, an extra special, Lord, manifest presence, God, of your spirit, Lord, in their lives, Lord, that as they humble themselves before you, God, as they turn to you, Lord God, in every measure of their lives, as they submit, God, your God, will on the throne of their life, Lord, as they submit everything else under that, Lord. God, that you would open up the windows of heaven, Lord, that you would pour out your spirit, Lord, that you would guide them, Lord God, every step of the way. God, we ask, Lord, and pray blessing over their relationships, God. God, would they live, Lord, and be the salt and light, Lord, that you've called them to be, Lord. God, they wouldn't be out of the way, Lord. God, they wouldn't cause you, Lord, any type of 
God, anything that would not be of you, Lord, something that would cause you disturbance, Lord God, to your name and to your kingdom, Lord. But would you give them the ability to walk, Lord God, and steward the calling, Lord God, in a way that is set apart, and God, that's undeniable of who they stand for and who they stand with. God, we thank you for their lives, Lord. We thank you for the calling that you have placed upon each individual one. God, we thank you for the gifts, Lord, the music, Lord, the sports. God, the natural abilities that you give us, Lord God, and we ask, Lord God, that these would each, Lord, produce fruit. God, in the greater spiritual benefit, Lord, be seen, Lord God. God, would coaches come to Christ, Lord? Would teammates come to Christ, Lord? Would classmates, God? Would coworkers, employees, God? Would loved ones come to Christ? God, we thank you for your name, for your consistency, and for the consistency of our calling today. We thank you for it and give you all the glory. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Lord, prepare me for you. Brother Michael, thank you so much. Sister Christy, where's she at? Thank you so much. Y'all have made this one absolutely beautiful day. Thank all the graduates. God bless you. Lord, I just want to join with Michael's prayer and pray for each one. They're going to be a light somewhere. They're going to be a light in the midst of darkness. And there's a lot of darkness in the world today. But Lord, I thank you for men and women and young people that have chosen to walk in the light. To reveal, dear God, your truth when there's so much fallacy. God, I thank you for that. And we just like to pray for them that they would uh, be a blessing and be in the ministry that you've called them to be. Lord, they may be a point guard, which is, which is important, but the most important thing is to be led by you. Thank you for that. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Some of us here have prayed. You know, we've had communion. Antoinette, thank you so very much for uh, walking us through this communion time. I felt like I got saved all over again just about. It was so wonderful. I thank God for it. Thank God for it. If you're here today and you've prayed and God has touched your life spiritually and you'd like to recognize it, just slip up your hand and say, God's touched my life today. Is there one? Is there one? Someone, oh, God bless you. You're a sweetie pie. You know that. You're something, you're very special. Anyone else? Hallelujah. He is Lord, Sister Judy. He is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. You're here today and you have a special need, whether it's healing or something in your life. Maybe it's a family member and you want us to join with you in prayer. I believe it's two agrees touching on any one thing. It shall be done. Just slip up your hand if you'd like special prayer. Have one. Others? Others? Come on. 
Hallelujah. Come up and praise Brother Todd. There's something special here. Anyone else? And he, anyone else? Come on, lift those hands. Lift those hands. And no. Sister Kathy, it's so good to see you today. She lost her dad. And our prayers are with you. There's nothing like a dad. But I understand he knew the Lord. And he's home. He's home. We pray for you. We believe the Lord with you. It's so good to have our couple from Pennsylvania. I know you come just to hear me preach. No, you didn't. You come because granddaughter was graduating. I know that. But we're so glad to have you, and thank you for coming. We appreciate it. Appreciate all of our graduates and, and what God has done in their life. And we, we're just so excited about how do you get over a four-point something? How, tell me, how, how do you do that? I thought four-point four was all you could get. You must be very special. See, so you got four-point what? Two. Now, what did you get? A four point what? Five six? <laughs> oh, I'm so proud of all of you. And I know moms and dads and grandparents are. We're so proud and, and we're just so thankful, so thankful. I see you, Antoinette. Again, I want to thank you for that wonderful, wonderful ministry there. Thank you again, Michael, for your presentation. Father, we love you today. We thank you, Lord, for your bountiful, bountiful blessings. There's, there, there's no way we could enjoy this service unless you bless. Your word tells us unless you build a house, we labor in vain that build it. Unless you watch over the city, the watchman, he wakes in vain. Thank you for watching over our homes. Thank you for watching over us. Thank you for your bountiful blessings this week and all the beautiful rain. Lord, we needed rain so bad. And Lord, you sent the rain in due season. Thank you for that. Bless as we leave this place. Give us traveling grace. And we'll praise you in Christ's name. Amen.